This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. From MPB Think Radio, this is In Legal Terms, the show all about you and your rights. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Hello, Professor Gershon. Good morning, Liz. I, I hope you had a great weekend and a great start to your week. And today we're, we're excited to welcome back to the show Attorney Baskin Jones. And Baskin has been a, a great guest on the show. He actually, in our first year, he talked about bicycle law. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and that's been a while ago. So, but he has been on the show frequently to talk about different um, uh, injury law. And uh, today he's going to be talking about products liability. So, Baskin, good morning. Would you remind us about your background and, and your practice area? Yeah, certainly. I uh, am a Mississippi boy. I uh, was born in Jackson, some of my early life in the Mississippi Delta, and uh, live with my family here in Jackson. Uh, my professional side, um, I'm an attorney that helps people who have been injured. And my firm is here in Jackson, right on State Street. And every day we talk to people who have been hurt, uh, either a car wreck or a product like we're going to talk about today. Usually these are very serious injuries. And uh, when people are looking for just exactly that help that they need with a situation that is larger, than they know how to deal with on their own. Well, today, you know, we're, we're going to be talking about products liability law, and that's one of your areas of practice. And and uh, so when we talk, when we call something products liability, what exactly does that mean? Yeah, this products uh, class of cases, they are really broken down into uh, whether a product has something wrong with it. And the two major categories uh, that we think of are was the product designed in such a way as to be inherently dangerous? Or was the product, when it was manufactured, was there some defect in the product that was made uh, as it was being manufactured? So this is covered by a Mississippi statute, 11163. Uh, the law has changed on this topic over time, and today uh, the, the area of law is one uh, that is filled with experts, experts that look at a design of a product and uh, engineer uh, the, the engineering questions on any product and whether or not it was designed in a way that there was a problem. Yeah, and I think, you know, when I was a kid, that, that definition was different. I, I My wife and I were laughing about a YouTube video that said the, and the you know, toys sold in the 60s and 70s that, um, you know, caused a lot of injuries um but you know that but that was a different time and so well, when we talk about um you know, product liability so let's say something doesn't work the way it's supposed to but i'm not injured by it i'm just disappointed with its performance would that be something that would be a you know <laughs> that i would come to you uh, in terms of products liability or would that be something else well uh there's a category in this that is one of product recalls and in a product recall a business would basically admit that there was an issue with a product, and sometimes that would be an avenue to get your money back. Uh, sometimes the the best way, if you've got a product that doesn't work appropriately, is to go back to the store you bought it from, uh, look at those return policies. But the 
question of uh, whether or not it was a claim that I would be taking or working on uh, the economics of it in that situation probably does not work out. It's those cases where someone is seriously injured that there would be an opportunity uh, for for me to become involved, that the economics of a expert, the economics of uh, an attorney's time and energy in putting a case together, all of those things, uh, that might be one of the reasons why a case might not be an attorney type of a case. And your case in point, we just got a, uh, my wife and I just got a check for $36 from a treadmill company uh, because we were part of a class action suit. Uh, the company had overstated the horsepower of its treadmills. And so it was not, for us to go to an attorney and seek damages, we probably would not have been that successful in that case. Many of these claims do end up as mass torts uh, for that exact reason. The economics of an individual bringing a claim for his own issue with the product uh, might not make sense. But when you get a group, uh, when you have a class of everyone who has bought this product and everyone who's bought the product is in the same uh, situation, they have the same issues with the product, oftentimes one law firm is able to represent many, many uh, plaintiffs against the company, and that would be an instance where they might have a claim, whereas an individual claim uh, might have some trouble. So let's talk a little bit about what then is a defective product. When somebody comes to you, what are you looking for in terms of a to, to see if they have a case in terms of a defective product? Again, that is going to be a, uh, a difference that uh, the design defect or uh, the manufacturing defect. If you bought, uh, let's say, a children's toy and your particular children's toy had a sharp edge under one of the lips, and it's not intended to have that sharp edge under the lip, but it you know cuts your child's face and they have uh, a scar on their face for the rest of their life. Uh, the fact that that particular manufacturing defect got out of the factory without someone catching it, there would be liability for the company uh, for that defect. Uh, if there's a bigger case out there of the design defect, if they designed that product to be manufactured that way, uh, that is, it's unfortunately you know, a harder case, but uh, one that an expert witness would come in and testify about there being some less dangerous, feasible alternative in making this product differently. So uh, we can think of it this way. You know, we could have products that are perfectly safe. We could be riding around on the roadways of our uh, state in tanks. That would be a perfectly safe way to travel. We could be in our tank and we would be safe and secure, but it's not exactly feasible. So we need to be able to find a feasible alternative to these products, an alternative that uh, makes business sense as well as is in the realm of possibility of what an engineer can make. If we can't find that type of alternative, uh, the case, as far as a product's case, might be in trouble. Well, and I've heard a lot of people say that lawyers are the ones who uh, have caused safety features to be in cars, such as safety belts, shoulder harnesses, uh, you know, safer edges on on doors, um, because of injury cases. Um, 
where the designs uh, were not, you know, could be fixed at, at, a, at a lower cost. So I'm glad we're not driving tanks, but I, but I'm also glad that that uh, that lawyers are helping people, uh, you know, be in a safer environment. My um, daughter loves to collect the images of do not do this safety posts because someone must have done that for there to be a safety post not to do that. And some of them are quite ridiculous that you couldn't imagine someone had ever done that. But if there's a post saying do not do this or do not use this product in this way, it's because somebody's tried to do that. It's There are examples of those kinds of warning labels that are laughable. You know, a warning label on a product that tells you you know, do not put toaster in tub. But there's there's a balance there. You know, it might be a source of a joke. It might be funny to think about. But the uh, fact that our country is one where uh, the large, wealthy company does not wield absolute, complete control, and we have a regulation or a, a justice system that allows an individual to make a claim against a large company, even one that's very powerful, is uh, probably one of the most effective methods in our country for uh, the level of safety that we do enjoy, that there is a check and balance, there is accountability, and at the end of the day, if uh, this large company is, its fate is decided by 12 normal people in a jury box. And that's across the board on all injury claims, uh, if it's an insurance company, if it's a large company that is manufacturing these products, uh, they are beholden to a jury. And uh, sometimes they're very worried about those emails that they're sending uh, from corporate higher-ups about uh, the risks of their product and how they uh, are really thinking or being careful with uh, the livelihood of the individual citizen. So... I think our system is a good one in that front that uh, those warning labels are there for a reason and it might be a sign that you bought a product where the company at least knows that they could very well have a problem if uh, they release a dangerous product. Let's go to the phones and speak with Rick. Rick, we're glad you've called into In Legal Terms today. What's your comment or question? Well, I'm going to try to sum this up pretty quick. Um, Starting in 2020, uh, doctors have been in my chest five different times. Uh, started out with a, a bypass. Eight months after my bypass, I started uh, feeling weird things in my chest, went in, come to find out that the wire that was used to uh, fuse my sternum back together had broken in three places. So they went in, took the wire out, put in plates, and I was healing up from that, and that surgery got infected. So they had to go back in and do a debridement. And, you know, basically I don't have much, of, if any, of a sternum now. And my quality of life is is pretty much gone because I'm not supposed to lift anything more than a gallon of milk. And my deal is, um, you know, I don't know if this is a, a product being the wire that was used or if, if there's even anything that can be done. Well, Rick, uh, you bring up a couple of uh, items here, and uh, as attorneys, we call it issue spotting. 
in your situation, I hear uh, a couple of different things that are of interest, things that might be potential claims. Number one, you got it that this wire, uh, we need to know more about it. Often your medical records will list uh, exactly those products that are used in your surgery, and you'll be able to see exactly what this wire that they used was. Once you know what the wire was, uh, doing some research about that product and learning if it is in any current litigation might be a helpful thing to at least give you some peace of mind. The second question is really a medical malpractice type question, and was the, the wire fine, but the way the doctor used it was inappropriate in some way. And for a case like that, uh, we would usually want to hear from another doctor uh, what they thought about the care you received and whether it was appropriate or not. And uh, those claims, uh, if it's against a private entity, have a maximum two-year statute of limitations. If you got your surgery in a state hospital or from a surgeon that has a contract with the state, you would be looking at a strict one-year statute. So the gathering of information for you and thinking through these things as quickly as can is going to be very important for you. Rick, we're so glad that you listened to In Legal Terms and you were able to call in today. I would suggest you might listen to one of our past podcasts on choosing a lawyer. Maybe you need an attorney to help you out for your specific situation. That podcast was from September 17th of 2019 when we had uh, Deputy General Counsel Missy Scott and General Counsel Adam Kilgore from Mississippi Bar. They might be able to help you with your situation. You can send us an email with your questions, legal terms at mpbonline.org. We're discussing product liability with attorney Baskin Jones. And as Professor Gershon said earlier, we are very happy to have Baskin join us again this week. He's been our guest before. I'll tell you when and where the top, what the topic was next. This is in legal terms. Not everybody has a chance to listen to our show live. That's so sad. That's so sad. I feel sad for the folks that can't listen to our whole show live. So if you have missed any of our program, you can listen to our whole show from our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. We are so pleased that our guest, Baskin Jones, has partnered with In Legal Terms in the past. You can hear his podcasts with us from Insurance, that was in August 9th of 2022, Subpoenas, January 18th of 2022, Turning 18, that was July 13th of 2021. And as Professor Gershon mentioned, we discussed cycling laws January 26, 2021. And I'll have those links in this show's information. Today, Attorney Baskin Jones is helping us learn about product liability. And, you know, I'm always curious. You know, sometimes when you have a simple product, you know, you don't expect to get injured from it, but what if it's something dangerous like fireworks or something like that? There's some expectation with products uh, like fireworks that uh, 
the risk kind of goes along with the product. And we couldn't sell these products if uh, there was strict liability for whenever something happened with the firework. So with something like a firework, that would be a situation that's covered in the product's liability law. And that is one of there not being a safer alternative. So we expect our products to be designed as safe as they can be. But if you buy the product to explode, like fireworks, then it's not going to be a firework that is as pretty or moves as fast or explodes as big or makes as much of a noise. Uh, So in a a firework-type situation or other products that, as you think about it, there's really no safer way to make this thing. Uh, Those products will probably have their warning labels, but are able to exist in our markets. And Baskin, there's some products that we don't know are dangerous until many years later. And I'm thinking about things like, um, you know, the whole issue with, uh, with baby powder, uh, with talcum powder. And, um, you know, so you mentioned the statute of limitations. So if someone had, and there is a mass tort claim going on about that right now, uh, you know, in terms of that uh, uh, issue, but if somebody you know, finds out they have um, an injury from a product that was on, you know, on the market for a long time, and it turns out it causes cancer, what would a statute of limitations for them look like? Right. Uh, Mississippi is generous. Uh, there are some places where there's a cold short shoulder at a certain point in time. But our statutes, uh, there's a period of time prescribed uh, for someone to file a lawsuit about a claim. And uh, so it depends on the type of claim you're bringing, uh, how long your statute might be. But Mississippi also has the notice rule. And that notice is uh, how long it would have taken a reasonable, prudent person, uh, just a normal person, if they're, for them to understand that they might have a claim. And for something uh, like a, a cream or this talcum powder type case, they're making the argument that we had no way to know that this product was dangerous until we did know, until we uh, started developing these types of cancers. So those statutes uh, would be extended due to there not being uh, any way to know until these things start developing. And uh, it's it's that way on many claims, but our general rule, uh, and we were trained this way in law school, to tell uh, every person we talk to that their claim is probably subject to a statute. They need to act quickly. They need, if they think they have a claim, to go ahead and speak to someone about it. Don't wait. Today is the day. Time is of the essence because your claim could disappear overnight, that if you were right next to that one-year statute for a public institute, if you're right next to that two-year statute for a private medical facility, you need to get answers you can live with about those claims uh, just because of the consequences. So, you know, when, when you mentioned Mississippi, and so and, and this is, that's where you practice and that's where we are, and so let, how, what does somebody have to prove to win a product's liability case in this state? Right. Uh, The basic question is really one of negligence. You know, did this uh, large company do something that 
a similarly situated large entity should not have done. So they are, can be uh, accounted as having more resources than the, the typical uh, person. But uh, what did this entity do that was negligent? What did they do that was outside of the norm? And uh, that manufacturing side is, is one place where this standard is kind of a straight negligence type standard. And you would look at what actually happened to the product in that manufacturing process that turned into this product going out uh, in a way that is uh, unacceptable. But on the design defect side, I need an expert witness uh, who so shows that there is a less dangerous way of making this product and that it uh, would not be cost prohibitive. So the expert is going to be very important, probably in both cases, but certainly in the design defect case, I need someone familiar with how these products are made or has made the product themselves for a competitor and to talk to that person uh, about the nitty gritty of what they have found about this product, how it was made and uh, how it should have been made safer. And, you know, we're talking, let's talk about the, for example, something like talcum powder. How do you prove that it was the talcum powder that caused the cancer? Because there are a lot of environmental things and a lot of genetic things that can cause cancer. So how do we, when we're, we're talking about something like that, how, do, how does a lawyer even prove, you know, that, that element of causation, that this thing is what, even though uh, that person used that product, that that's what caused their illness or their uh, injury? Uh, that is a hotly contested uh, question on the talcum side, but uh, talcum and uh, the asbestos-type claims, they do present that problem. And uh, But we have doctors, we have medical research, we have uh, the benefit of time with some of this that shows individuals after they've ex been exposed uh, – by the statistics are just getting uh, these types of ailments, these uh, issues at a much higher rate than the general public. And that is as one way of showing uh, that there could be this causal link. And uh, plaintiff's attorneys that do what I do are going to have an expert talk about uh, those probabilities, what they have found in the research, uh, their individual experience with people that have these ailments. And uh, we also are able to hear from the people themselves that, you know, I used this product over a period of time uh, and now I've been diagnosed. Uh, so the jury is going to be the ultimate finder of fact. Often cases, the, the judge steps in and dismisses them on summary judgment if there's no way a reasonable jury could find that, uh, there is a causal link between these issues people are having and the product. Well, Baskin, I have a question. We're talking about product liability with our guest, attorney Baskin Jones. You mentioned that attorneys use experts. Could an attorney ask for or commission a medical research study? Or does that, how, does that ever work if, you, if you know, someone says, hey, I've developed X, and I think it might be because of Y, and you can't find an expert who says that, I don't know, could you commission a study to study if Y causes X? Well, uh, 
That is an interesting question, and uh, I believe this happens on both sides of the ball, that uh, there are large companies, and I'll not go into any specific names on air, that uh, control these types of issues on a granular level from the very beginning. You know, if, if you're the, the bad-acting large corporation and you're fully aware your product is out there hurting people – and you have all the resources in the world, uh, your ability to begin to, to research these things and to hand-select those doctors who are going to do those that research. And uh, wouldn't you know, they found uh, that there wasn't an issue with this product. They found it was completely safe. And that product is thought of as completely safe for an additional 20 years uh, just because of the amount of control this large entity executed. Uh, I'm, I'm glad the way that came out. I didn't use any particular <laughs> names of large corporations. But uh, also, I think uh, our side of the ball, the people representing individuals have been injured, uh, especially in asbestos-type cases and maybe in these talcum-type cases. Uh, uh, there's thoughts from both sides that these sorts of things uh, could be happening. So where do you get your research how much do you trust those people who are doing the research? And what uh, is there any bias would be uh, one thing to think deeply about uh, as you're reading those studies about completely safe products out there. I loved that answer. That was very well articulated. Scary as all heck, but, <laughs> but I think you phrased that very, very well. I, I was very careful to uh, not publicly malign any large uh, multinational corporations. To the multinational corporations out there, you're welcome. And uh, I'm happy to speak to your legal teams. Uh, MPB likes that too. We'd love for you to email us your questions. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're talking with attorney Baskin Jones about product liability. If you would like to read some additional information about personal injury, I'll tell you where you can do that next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert host. I'm Liz Gill. We hope that you will subscribe to our podcast. I mentioned podcasts on here an awful lot. So because sometimes you'll be listening to a show and we'll say, hey, if you want to know inf more information, we've talked about that before. Go list, go find our podcast. And also, all of the shows on MPB Think Radio, we have one website, mpbonline.org slash radio. You can find all the podcasts for each of our shows there. You can see the schedule. This morning, we're talking about product liability with our guest, Baskin Jones from Jones Law Firm. And the firm's website is injured in mississippi.com and there's just a wealth of information about personal injury there if you would like to read up a little bit on more personal injury there's some well, additional you know, resources out there that uh, we we've got prepared for today um, on product recalls uh, for safe products out there recalls.gov is another uh, resource out there there's uh, cpsc 
which is Com- Consumer Product Safety Commission. There's FDA.gov uh, that has a list of uh, other recalls from the Food and Drug Administration. Uh, so uh, if you have a question about a product or, you know, are looking at the, the latest kid's toy or have heard something about uh, the safety of a particular product, uh, those might be other very good resources uh, to learn about. On AutoCorrect, <laughs> our Thursday at 10 a.m., Saturday at 11 a.m. radio show, we every week mention the NHTSA National Highway Traffic Safety Administration's website, and that's where they list all the recalls for vehicles, but also tires and baby products. Hmm. Well, that, that's yeah, probably sure. a perfect segue and uh, to uh, a larger products liability type question, and that is, you know, one of, of vehicles and Tesla. And uh, I, I think personally that our world is going to change uh, in how we think about car wrecks. Can uh, you tell us a little bit more about the, the Tesla? I'm not uh, familiar with that story. Well, the, uh, there is uh, a movement going that several companies are competing to try to really make cars self-driving. And there's a big difference uh, as far as the law is concerned right now between a uh, car driven by a human, if a human does something odd in a car and causes a car wreck, we know what to do with that. Uh, We look and see, was the driver negligent? What did they do wrong? And uh, compare the amount of fault that that driver might have uh, as they were driving the vehicle. The autonomous car question is it opens a whole Pandora's box that potentially every car wreck claim would become a product's liability case because whoever coded the software driving the car, that is the person who is really at fault for the wreck, whatever company developed the software that you were using to drive your car. There probably also is maybe an argument that the person who started the software should have known that maybe this software could make a mistake. Maybe they're still on the hook. But that changes the entire legal landscape for attorneys that do what I do or attorneys uh, in general as far as liability for an autonomous task. It's uh, it's a big question mark that I'm not sure the uh, legal framework as it exists today uh, – if we were required to treat every normal car wreck case like a products case and the types of evidence and the amount of experts, all of those items, uh, I, I just see a uh, difficult question uh, arising in the future about how we handle these things. It could be that you know the legislature decides that uh, if you program an autonomous car, you are responsible for whatever that car does in a strict liability type way, that we would not require the injured person to garner the proof about what the software did wrong or hire the experts. That's one way of handling it. Uh, I think there will need to be a good amount of legislation on this topic in the near future. It's interesting, Baskin, because, you know, we have the the 
a nationally renowned, internationally renowned space law program here at, at the law school and have had one for a long time. And one of the issues uh, with space law is when something goes wrong with a satellite or, you know, God forbid, a manned uh, spaceship is who who is responsible for the defective part? Because it might be one part uh, put in by one manufacturer, you know, among many manufacturers um, that 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 uh, was that caused the uh, the malfunction. Would that be the same thing with with those self driving cars? I mean, it might be a lot of different manufacturers involved. It could be. Uh, there's a granular level of you know who programmed the line of code that was faulty that caused this wreck. Uh, there will be probably a line of succession of uh, people vetting this code, people vetting the software, people vetting the vehicle running the software, people deciding to purchase the vehicle manufactured by the manufacturer, coded by the coders, uh, and then deciding to hit the button in the vehicle to start the self-driving car okayed by the manufacturer all the way up the line. That uh, in that chain, each of those people potentially played a part. And uh, that seems like a big mess to me. Uh, it's uh, a moving target of the highest order. And uh, I, I do think that some sort of strict liability would be the way to go in autonomous cars. Oh, I'm, I'm loving this future thinking, but it also, I don't know, it, it, it makes me a little worried of, what is it, the fox guarding the hen house to think about, oh, I, I don't know. Not <laughs> a, no, let, let, let's, we're going to move on. <laughs> if you have a question, we'd love for you to join our show. We're coming up on the end of it. We can take your questions on our email address, legalterms at mpbonline.org. We are so pleased that Attorney Baskin-Jones is able to join us to discuss product liability. And, you know, that's just one topic that In Legal Terms has covered since we started our podcasts. Our podcasts started in June of 2016. I'll tell you more about our podcasts next. Thank you for being part of In Legal Terms. So if you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show on the MPB Think Radio YouTube channel. Oh, and I also love that if you can't listen to it on the YouTube channel, it pull, it creates a transcript. So that's, and you can just read it. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. At 11 a.m. Central on Tuesdays following our over-the-air broadcast, you can hear Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, with Dr. Susan Buttress on MPB Think Radio. So if you have enjoyed our show, we have 178 others that you might like also. We've been podcasting in legal terms uh, since about June of 2016. We have had over 200,000 downloads. Our most popular shows by far, two of them we did on estate planning. That's what in, Professor Gershon, every, we always get the calls for estate planning. They're always really excited about that. The next five, it was uh, a lot of pandemic ones. Year one on statutes and home offices, they've gotten a lot. We've also, the one we did on Creighton, Creighton, 
uh, and I think that's back, uh, going to be on the legislative agenda coming in January, Asylum and Immigration and SLAP, which I didn't know anything about SLAP till our engineer Jay White mentioned it, and that's one of our uh, top 10 podcasts. But today, we're talking with attorney Baskin Jones from Jones Law Firm about product liability. Baskin, uh, yeah, this is a great show. And, and when, when we... Um... When people think of product liability, one case that that really is uh, one that is misunderstood is the hot coffee case. And in fact, uh, former uh, Supreme Court Justice Oliver Diaz uh, uh, came to the law school and presented a, a film, you know, called Hot Coffee about that case. So, I mean, a woman spills coffee on herself at McDonald's and gets a, a big award, reward, you know, award damage award. Um, why is that okay? That is exactly how the media presented uh, this person's claim. Uh, Stella Liebeck uh, was 79 years old and got third-degree burns on the lower half of her body, mostly the pelvic region, uh, and it was at a McDonald's restaurant. The, uh, she asked for $20,000 because she has third-degree burns in this region of her body, uh, McDonald says, no, you're crazy. You, uh, you bought the coffee. You should have known it was hot. And that is the perception that most of the public has about Ms. Liebeck and her case. The truth of the matter is that uh, these plaintiff's attorneys at trial before a jury showed McDonald's policies and procedures. McDonald's was brewing this coffee uh, at 200 degrees and well, more than well enough to burn someone who spills it, uh, way hotter than it ever needed to be. Uh, and they did it, they say, because uh, truckers like to order a coffee, put it in their styrofoam cup, and leave it in their car for an hour. And it's still hot the hour later when they go to drink it. That means when they were serving it, when they're handing it to the customer, if there's any mishap, you've got a problem. And Miss Liebeck, had a problem, and McDonald's had probably 30 complaints about this particular interaction in the period of time leading up to Ms. Liebeck uh, and her injuries. So there is a case there. The jury got to hear all of those facts about uh, Ms. Liebeck. Uh, unfortunately, the rest of the country, uh, when they heard about Ms. Liebeck's case and heard about her being burned by this coffee, uh, they thought this is someone uh, who just is, is trying to get a settlement check, someone who is you know, manufacturing their claims. Uh, my perspective, and maybe I'm biased, is uh, the jury heard the facts of the case. The jury heard more than the media is ever going to present one side or the other of this issue. They made a determination. We trust this jury so much with uh, each part of our legal system. It's the best method we have found to determine truth, to determine what is the right outcome, and uh, to undercut the jury's decision, to make fun of them, to question it after the fact. Uh, you really need to sit in every day at trial in order to be qualified to give that opinion. So. I, I do 
trust a jury's determination. I think they've got a high calling, encourage everyone to, to go to jury duty when called, that uh, we depend upon a jury in a criminal setting to determine uh, fault, to determine if someone is guilty or not. And in the, the civil setting, we need the jury uh, to weigh in at the, the end when all of the evidence has been presented, and then to determine uh, exactly the amount of damages. Uh, Ms. Liebeck, uh there's a $2.7 uh, million dollar reward, award at the end of this case. And uh, judging by the how bad her injuries were and judging by how long McDonald's knew uh, about these issues, that seems about right to me, knowing what I know about the case. So uh, be careful with your sources of information. Uh, and uh, I have a lot of trust in the jury to do justice. And I think they did in this McDonald's hot coffee case. One thing I found that was interesting, Baskin, is that you mentioned to us, uh, it, you know, before the show, how much that award, what the scale of that was towards McDonald's. Mm-hmm. The yeah. $2 million, you know, covered her, you know, possibly covered her medical bills and her pain and suffering. But the the punitive, how, how much did that damage McDonald's? Well, so the this result, $2.7 million, is equivalent to two days of McDonald's coffee sales. So that, in the big scheme of things, when you think about uh, all of the possible harms that McDonald's ignored potentially for a period of time, uh, ignoring potential customer complaints, uh, that is why we have products liability law. When you know or should have known about a danger in your product and you do nothing about it, uh, the law has a problem with that. And, you know, it's interesting because that that case, that particular hot coffee case, was the impetus for a lot of states to enact tort reform, among other cases. And, you know, it. Uh, and I think you're right if we trust juries to make the decisions about how much uh, a dam- how many, you know, what should be the damages for someone? They've heard the whole case as opposed to leaving it to state legislatures. That's probably a fairer system. Yes, we uh, do have uh, caps on damages and other limitations about how we bring claims. Uh, our Constitution protects the right to jury trial. And uh, all along our history, we have trusted the jury uh, to be able to make these decisions, to be able to make these calls. And to the extent that now the legislature uh, and sometimes the judiciary comes in and says, nope, jury got it wrong, uh, the damages should be something else, or the damages should have a cap on them, and you cannot go any further than this level. That uh, uh, There's two sides to the issue, but I think the jury system has worked well for us, and uh, it is difficult to leave some arbitrary number, uh, and especially with inflation. It's difficult to have an arbitrary number out there that is the can go no higher than this number type of damages. Baskin, we only have one minute. We did get an email question uh, we talked earlier about a statute of limitation, and the email was, how do I determine when there's a cause of action 
and I guess it was in order to determine when the statute of limitations starts to run. So uh, the day of the injury is usually a good measure for that. Also, uh, the day you should have known uh, that your injuries were caused by whatever act. So that would be the tolling part of the statute of limitations, but the day that the whatever physical contact happened that was the injury or you took the pill, that would be the, the default. All right. And uh, a lot of individuals who are attorneys who might handle product liability, do they usually allow a consultation before fees start setting in? Correct. So in my office, uh, we offer free consultations. We talk to uh, callers about any number of things. And uh, we find that being that sort of a resource to callers and really wanting to give just good information is our best policy. So we're happy to answer any phone calls and give free consultations. Thank you, Baskin Jones. That's going to wrap us up for today's In Legal Terms. Our team consists of board engineer Jay White, call screener Charles Arnold, podcast producer Jermaine Flood, and for Professor Richard Gershon, who hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I am Liz Gill. Join us next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Thank you.